Praise God. Well, it's really exciting to have with us this morning our guest speakers, but we've known them for a long time. Um, Brother Scott Holmes and his wife Kara serve as our state superintendents, what we call our district superintendents, over the entire state of Louisiana for the Assemblies of God. And we go way back. We go at least 20-plus years back. We started playing golf tournaments together, missions tournaments, golf tournaments. But what we did, we, we play, had a similar game. And so we ended up, for some reason, every tournament we go to, we'd play together. And we just had the most, most fun. We would talk about the Lord the whole time, what God was doing around the world, here in the United States. And that developed what started as, as a friendship, uh, developed into a deep relationship. And uh, I just want you to welcome who I consider uh, our, our pastors. And uh, I want you to just welcome this morning Brother Scott Holmes as he comes. Amen. Thank you, Amen. 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 What a great day. Anybody felt like crying today? Wow. Y'all should have had more Kleenexes around. Amazing. It's just an amazing privilege and honor to be uh, just part of part of this incredible moment. And uh, Pastor Tommy, Lisa, just to, uh, uh, just to be here this morning. I believe that the Lord has a word for all of us, but uh, I believe he wants to speak very special into to this moment of transition. You know, Joe and Shannon, what an unbelievable opportunity to get this kind of start. I just want you to know it doesn't happen this way all the time. And uh, thank God for you, uh, this is what's normal to you is not really what's normal to many people that start in ministry and uh, in, a, in a senior pastor place and position. So, uh, wow, it's just a, it's a wonderful opportunity, again, to be with all of you, amen, from all of our churches around the state, we just are one big family, you know, often say from Shreveport to Slidell to, you know, from Lake Providence way up in the, the northeast to, you know, to Lake Charles down in the southwest. We have a, we have a beautiful family that worship together uh, as part of the Assemblies of God. We're about 215 churches, and, and uh, this morning we're just part of a big group of about 45,000 people that are just gathered under a variety of different styles of worship, but we're all worshiping in the same way. Somebody ought to say praise God to that. So uh, just happy to be with you this morning. So uh, can we just start with a word of prayer? I know we've prayed, we've worshiped, but uh, can, can we just ask the Lord to speak to us? I know I'm going to speak very specifically this morning to, to, to really two families. But I also want to speak really a word that I think will apply to us as a, as a family, a church family. So I want you to listen. I want to challenge you to listen to a few of these things, uh, you know, with kind of one ear just celebrating these families, but the other ear, Lord, what are you speaking to me as an individual as part of this family? And I believe if you'll, if you'll help me, you know, with concentrating on that level, I think, I, I think the Lord will speak to us in that way so that you can leave here and just, well, you know, in a little while, I hear we're going to eat after service. So, uh, you know, that's always a fun thing to do. But you can leave here this afternoon 
celebrating what's done, but also at the same time, I think, be, being challenged with, with something from the Word of God. Amen? Are you with me this morning? Thank God. I thank God I have a voice today. This is the strongest voice I've had in almost a week. So, uh, you know, I've, I've, uh, I told the Lord I'd be just uh, silently praising Him during worship today, uh, but uh, just thank God that uh, we, can, we can be here. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. It was so evident in this sanctuary as, as we just came in an hour ago. Lord, your, your presence is real. Your spirit is just working and moving among us. And we just, we just simply want to say, like you've taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. So, Lord, would you just move among us, speak to us, and we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. <clears throat> Can you hand me one of those waters? Thank you. If you have your Bible, I just I want to I want to look at a few places out of uh, the Old Testament. Thank you. Out of Kings, but uh, we're, that's where we're going to be. You know, from a from a scriptural standpoint today. How many of you love sports? Love sports. I know we just had the Olympics. Of course, it was the Winter Olympics. Uh, I, I love to watch the Summer Olympics a little more than the Winter Olympics. You know, living in the South, it's hard to identify with the Winter Olympics. Amen? You know, like ice skate. I've only been on ice skates a few times, and I can't imagine how those people do what they do. And skis a few times, uh, just going up there. But uh, it's a little bit easier for us to uh, identify with the Summer Olympics. And, uh, you know, go, growing up, I, I may not look like it right now, but growing up, uh, uh, I, I used to run track. How many of you ever ran any kind of track? Did you, did you ever do any track? Track? You know, just about anybody can do it. We just get out there and run. You know, jump hurdles, long jump. You know, the first, I can remember the first track meet I ever went to. Again, you can't tell by the way I look, but I threw the shot put. That's kind of, use your imagination there. But, uh, you know, track is an interesting sport. There's so many different varieties. You know, you have individual events where you have sprints. You have even individual events of, of marathons. And those are, those are interesting to watch and, and nice. But then, then there are those events that it's more of a team effort. And when you run, there is a relay race that is amazing to watch. Because there's so many components in a relay race that you can watch, and there are so many opportunities for the team to win or lose. There's been several moments in the history of the USA Olympic team, both women and men, that we were highly favored to win in these relay events. And our team that uh, held multiple records would just get in their blocks and off they go. And I love those, those where there's four different individuals, but it's not just the race that these four individuals run. There is a very critical moment in that race where they have to take that baton. Everybody know what I'm talking about? And that baton has to get passed from one to another, and there's just a certain amount of space that they have to pass that baton. Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? 
I have watched in horror and grief as many times our Team USA has messed up in that transitional moment. And our team that was highly favored became disqualified because we dropped the baton. We just dropped the little thing. Have have any of you ever held that thing? It doesn't, it weighs nothing. It's just aluminum. It's so light. But we dropped, we dropped the baton. And you, you, you watch on TV and you think, how can we drop the baton? But we did. And as we dropped the baton, we lost the race. Man, I, I've watched that transitional moment in sports and it, it kind of reminds me of the old Clint Eastwood movie, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. Some of you remember that movie, don't you? And th- there's been some ugly moments in that transitional period in these highly trained athletes. Just, just, it just gets ugly because the transitional thing is just oh awkward. And, they, and then there's times that they miss the timing. And in that certain space of time they 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 hit it too short or they go too long and again they're disqualified because of the transition but then there's those beautiful moments where every it's just like so smooth it's just smooth as silk it's just absolutely beautiful i mean that one is in full stride and and he or she reaches out and that other one is in full stride and she or he reaches back and when she reaches back she's reaching forward and it's just like boom and off that that person in front never misses a beat she's or he has got that baton and in their hands they're lo- and off they go it's a, it's a beautiful sight come on are y'all y'all with me this morning makes me want to watch the olympics when it's done right, it's so beautiful. It's so flawless. It's so wonderful. It's just like one person, just, just that flow, and off they go. When it's done bad, it's like, oh, my word. What were we thinking? Hmm. There's some transitions in the Bible that probably could fall under the same Clint Eastwood category, good, bad, and ugly. Transitions not in a relay race, but transitions of leadership. Boy, we could go back to the Old Testament, and we there's some horrible examples of when one leader is time is up and the other leader steps onto the... It's some good, bad, and very ugly scenarios. But I don't really want to take the time, nor do I really want to take the mental energy, or surely I don't want to take the emotional high of what we're feeling away from this moment. So I'd rather just focus for a few moments on an example of good. Somebody say amen to that. Because I think what we see in the example of Elijah and Elisha is something that we're witnessing today. 
in this pastoral transition of leadership here. And that's where I want us to, to jump into this story here in the First Kings is where we'll start. And we'll start when they very first met, and then we'll kind of finish up at that beautiful moment that uh, we've all you know, we've all seen and we've all heard about that. But in First Kings chapter 19, verse thir- uh, chapter 19, verse 13, it says, And when Elijah heard it, Elijah, now let me set the stage. Elijah has just experienced some of the greatest. He's just experienced uh, the most probably powerful one-day move of God than, that maybe we've ever experienced. You know, he's just ended a three-and-a-half-year drought. He's called fire down from heaven. He's literally slain 400 prophets of Baal. And then to top it off, he outruns a horse and chariot back to the city. That's a pretty good day of ministry. Amen? I mean, we just finished a couple of days. Travis is here. We just finished a couple of great days of ministry to all of the youth around our state. We just had our annual youth conference, youth convention here uh, just up the road. But, but, and we had, we had some two... two incredible days. But they're nothing compared to this day that Elijah had. But in that day, the Lord now is taking him into a transitional period. So just right after this great ministry experience, he's now asking and, and, and really wrestling with the Lord, Lord, what is my next step? What is my next season? And the Lord begins to speak to him very clearly about three things that he needs to do. And I'm not going to go into the other two things, but I just want us to focus on this third thing. Elijah was there. He heard the voice of God. He heard, you know, you remember the, 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 the voice speaking to him. It's the great story of the wind and the fire, but the Lord's not in the wind and the fire, but he's in the still small voice. It says, Elijah wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out, and he stood at the entrance of the cave, and behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I alone, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. All of that's very true. And the Lord said to him, Elijah, the son of Shaphat of Abel-Maholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And then he goes into... Uh, a couple of, of, of uh, these tasks. I want to pick up later in that verse. It says, so he departed from there and he found Elijah. You're going to find Elijah. You're going to anoint him. And he found Elijah, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and he cast his cloak upon him and he left the oxen and he ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother. And then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what I have done, for what, have, what have I done to you? Just do what you need to do, basically. And uh, he returned from following him. He took the yoke of oxen, sacrificed them, boiled the flesh with the yokes of the oxen, and gave it to the people. And they ate, had a party, and they arose and went after, and then he arose and went after Elijah, and he assisted him. Elijah, at this time, Elisha, excuse me, Elisha, I'll probably get those confused. Elisha at, at this time is probably Joe in his young 20s. So just pretend you're in your young 20s, all right? Elisha is in his young 20s. 
Elijah, and here's, here's the one thing that I think all of us know, but I just, I, I just want to prophetically speak it. I know, Tommy, you already know it. But this is not a God's done with you moment. This is a, there is specific assignment waiting on you. Some you know, some will be revealed to you as you continue to walk down this road. You know, this is not game over. This is, in many ways, a new game on. And one of the things that I like to challenge our leaders at the stage of life that you and Lisa are in, you're now really graduated with a Ph.D. degree in the ability to help and to coach and to mentor and to take this next generation further than where our generation has been able to, to, to take the kingdom of God. I believe that for you. I know you already know that. That's nothing new for you. But, uh, you know, I just, uh, this, is, this isn't even a time to, yeah, take your breath, have a nice day off, and, uh, and, but get, get ready. Get, get ready because God is about, I believe, you just think he's downloaded specific things into your heart. As specific as Elijah was spoken to, I believe it's going to be that specific to you about these next assignments. And those next assignments for Elijah, uh, in it just they all, they all uh, had with them. They all entailed a release of anointing. Go and anoint. Go and anoint. Go. On. There's a release of anointing that will come out of you, and it's because you've been faithful to to to. You've been a faithful vessel of the anointing of God. People can't give away what they don't have. And God is not going to tell people to give away what he already knows they don't have. He could only tell Elijah, release that anointing because he knew Elijah had anointing. And he's going to call you to release the anointing because he knows you have it. Does that make sense? There's four years that take place. We don't often catch all of the timelines in the Bible. But there are four years that take place between that moment and the moment of 2 Kings when we have this great story of Elijah being taken up with this chariot of fire. Four years. It wasn't one day this anointed, you're anointed, the next leader, and then the next day... You got it. No, there's been a season of transition here, and that's one of the great things that I see. So often in the church world, we have not very good transitions. And if I can go back to my story about the track transitions, I've been witness to some of those fumbled, awkward moments of transitioning from one leadership to another. Sometimes it's just pure ugly. You know, sometimes it's just people leave clandestine in the night because of something they've done, something they've said, something they've broken, and I'm not talking about a vase. And they try to slip away in the night and leave the church to figure it all out. That's a bad transition. Sometimes because of leadership failure and, and just plain out moral failure, the church is left in a million pieces. And the transition many times takes years to fix. Seeing the good, the bad, and the 
oh, so very ugly. But as I rejoice with you today, it's that beautiful moment, and it's, it's just like this Elijah, Elisha story, and, and, and this four years of, 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 of really transitioning, and Elijah pouring into Elisha's life. I know, Joe, you've been there six years. I know, really, even the last year, you know, who gets a year advance notice this is happening? This doesn't happen this way. It's not normal, folks. And I applaud you for the way that you've handled this. Now, there's something, though, out of Second Kings that I just want to bring to our attention. And here's where I believe it can start applying to all of us. And it's the story when, as they're preparing for this departure, and Elijah knew it's, it's about to be my time. So in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 9, I'm going to read through verse 14. Everybody, everybody good? Y'all with me today? If you're happy and you know it, say amen. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You've asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two men. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw them no more. Did you ever stop when you read these stories out of the Bible? Did you ever stop and think, man, what a, what a sight. I mean, it's like when I get to heaven, I hope they have a, a, a library of, I used to say, cassettes, you know, now it's like DVDs. Uh, who knows what technology is in heaven, but I hope they have some visual recordings of some of this stuff. How much fun would that be? Amen. Heaven has their own Netflix room, you know. I want to see that. In my brain, I can see it, but I want to see how it actually happened. Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, and Elijah saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw them no more. And he took hold of his own clothes, and he tore them in two pieces, and he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he went back, and he stood on the bank of the Jordan. And then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, and he struck the water and said, Where is the God, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted, and on one side, on the other side, Elijah went over. And then he marches out of that, and he goes on to what many would say, 60 years of incredibly anointed ministry. Now, before I read this verse 2 or verse 9, if you, if you in your time uh, later today, read, read up above those other eight verses there, because there's this incredible dialogue of what's happening in this action of what's happening between Elijah and Elisha. Because Elisha knows it's the time. It's the end of this four years. And, and Elijah has given Elisha every opportunity to just stay where you're at. 
And he gave him an opportunity to stay in three different places. One place was Gilgal. He, uh, he, he, they, were, they were on their way, but they were in Gilgal. Another place was Bethel, and another place was Jericho. Gilgal, Bethel, and Jericho. And I just want to talk about that just for a few moments. And, and here's where I think it applies to all of us. Because in all of our celebrating these two families, I want you to remember John chapter 14, verse 12, is one of the most incredibly hard-to-believe verses in the Bible. Scott, what's in John 14, 12? <clears throat> John 14, 12, Jesus is telling his disciples, greater works will you do. That's a, that's a pretty incredible verse, isn't it? Come on, somebody. Don't get all spiritual on me today. I just, I, I don't even look spiritual most of the time. I don't even wear these kind of clothes. But just for my brother Tommy, I dressed up today. <laughs> can, can I just get down here among you for just, just for a moment? And then we're going to finish up. But I just I want us to personalize something here, that there is a transfer of anointing, not just between this pastoral anointing from Pastor Tommy to Pastor Joe, but the anointing that the Lord is so wanting to transfer onto every one of our own lives. An anointing that says, greater works will you do. Now, I... If you've read the New Testament lately, Jesus has been involved in some pretty incredible stuff, hasn't he? So that's why I say it's one of the most challenging verses when I read that verse and I hear greater, Scott, greater works will you do? And so when I really start, you know, taking a look at the works of Scott Holmes compared to that, I'm not saying we're Jesus. Come on, guys, y'all know where I'm at. But I'm just saying we're to live like Jesus out in the world out there so that we can reproduce the life and the fruit and the power of the Holy Spirit can flow through us. So greater works will we do. Is the Bible true? Did Jesus make a good promise there? <coughs> I believe he did. Excuse me. So let's think about this Gilgal Bethel and Jericho just for a few moments. I'm going to challenge Joe, but at the same time, I want us to all be challenged. Gilgal, the very name means a, a, a circle, really a stone circle. When I think of a stone circle, I think of a circle of safety. Now, we all would like to be in a stone circle of safety at times in our life. <coughs> Excuse me. Even the Bible says Jesus is a strong tower that we can run to in times of trouble. But if you, if you get, if you get this, this story here, Elisha is with Elijah, and he's, Elijah is about to go further, and he says, you're very welcome to stay here in Gilgal. <coughs> You're very welcome to stay in your place of safety. You're, you're very welcome to stay surrounded by this stone circle. You stay there. I'm going further. Thank God. Elisha said, uh-uh. <laughs> I'm going with you, buddy. Sometimes, though, I think after we get saved... As the Holy Spirit is leading us, the Holy Spirit says, if you want to stay there, you can. It's safe there. 
but I'm going further. If we really want that anointing, we need to be willing to leave Gilgal and say, I want to go where you go. He went, he went a little further, and he found himself in Bethel. And then the Spirit of God was moving. Elijah said, I'm going further, but you stay here. You stay here. You know what Bethel means? Bethel means house of God. That's a pretty good place, isn't it? You know, you know, Bethel, if you go all the way back, it really is it's the same place where Jacob was, and he had this vision. Heaven is open. That's the Bethel. It's an open heaven. How many of us pray for an open heaven? How many of us pray for Bethel? Come on, church. That's what we want. We want that Genesis chapter 22 experience. God, open heaven. And, and Elijah is telling Elisha, you just stay there. Stay there. I'm going further, but you stay there. And thank God, Elisha said, no, I don't want to stay there. But how many of us in the church, we're a little bit like, remember the three disciples in Mark chapter 9? When the glory of God fell on the mountaintop, what did they say? Can we just stay here, Jesus? Can we just stay here? And Jesus said, no, because there's a little boy down there that's demon-possessed, and if we stay on the mountaintop, nobody's going to go to the bottom of the mountain to bring deliverance. It's fun to climb the mountain. It's fun to have the experience of God. Are y'all with me? I like those experiences. But he's not called us to live in Bethel. He's called us to go further. He's called us to come down off the mountain and go into our mission field and go where the hurting people are hurting and the lost people are lost and the people that are in bondage are trying to figure out how they're going to live another day. And if we stay here on the mountaintop, those people are going to die and go to an eternity in hell because we're all having our hallelujah parties. Are y'all with me? Amazing. Amazing. Here's the third place. He left Bethel, and they find themselves in Jericho. Y'all with me? Everybody, are y'all good today? I don't know if y'all having as much fun as I'm having, but I am having a blast being here today. They're in Jericho. They're in Jericho. Now, he says, I'm, I'm going a little bit further because right outside of Jericho is the Jordan, and that's where we just picked up the story. They crossed the Jordan. They had one more little, but he tells them, you stay. You just, you just stay in Jericho. Now think back with me. What would Jericho represent? What was Jericho? Jericho was the very first place of an incredible victory. Remember they walked around the walls seven times and the walls came tumbling down. We used to sing about that in kids' kids church, didn't we? You stay in Jericho. It represents the place 
of past victories. Now, it's great to remember the past. It's great to remember the places that God has healed us, the places that God has blessed us, the places that we won great victories. Am I making sense today? But if we stay in our past victories, we stay in, we're just so close to a new move of God. We're so close. He could have stayed in Jericho, and he would have been so close. You can stand. I've been in Israel. You can stand at the Jordan, and you can see Jericho. Some of us are standing so close to a new move of God, to a new transfer of anointing in our life. We could see, but we have to get out of Jericho and keep moving forward. And I just want to look at you two men again and just say, Thank you that you didn't stop along the way. And anywhere along this, this past year, this, this mentoring process, this pouring into your life, you could have said, no, enough. That's enough. No, 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 no. Absolutely no. But you, you just kept going. You 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 kept going. And here we are today. Same for all of us. Friends, we've got to keep going. There's a new move of God waiting for us. There's a new Jordan that we need to cross. There's, 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 there's a new revival waiting for you. There's a new calling. There's a new word. But if you get stuck anywhere along, all three of those places, I'm not talking about sin. I'm not talking about evil. I'm not, all three of those places were great places to stop. But all three of them would have prevented Elisha from seeing what he saw here. And I want to finish with, with just a few, a few last words. And then we're going to do something special. I believe the Lord's going to do something special. That's a good place to say amen. He crossed over the river. And Elijah looked at him and said, with boldness, Sometimes we think with boldness, and I would agree, but yet the expectation of Elisha to Elijah when he said, when Elijah, what, what, what do you want? He said, I want a double portion. How many of us in times have read that and think, that's kind of greedy? I mean, it's like, dude, you've been with him all this time. How about just getting what he had? Aren't you satisfied with what he had? I mean, good grief. I mean, leave some for the rest of us. It had nothing to do with greed. Let me tell you, in, in, the, in the culture of the day, the double portion went to the firstborn. Now, I know we're not talking about a biological sonship here. We're talking about the spiritual sonship because Elijah recognized the culture says, I should get a double portion of your spiritual inheritance. We're talking about spiritual. We, we know it wasn't a biological uh, son and, and father, but I'm expecting, I'm your son. I am your spiritual son. And fathers give their spiritual sons a double portion. I am not a hireling. 
I, I, I am not a, you, I am not someone that this is, a, I'm not a professional prophet. I'm not a professional pastor. I'm not a hireling. I am a son. And, and here's the thing, Pastor, here's the thing, and I think, I think as you get out and you mentor, you, you mentor and you coach these guys in transition, think about this, and I, I've never thought about this before. Think about this. Think about how much we miss in the transitional phase when we're not raising up sons, because sons get a double portion of the anointing. If we're not, if we're not, if the guys who follow us aren't, if Pastor, if, if they're not our sons, it's like they have to start over. They're starting from, they're, why do our churches suffer? You know, the average stay in a local church of, of, of mo- most pastors is three to four years. And then they hand it over to somebody else. And they're like starting over. And they, they give up after three or four years. So we've created this, this culture where we're not, we're not transferring double anointings to our son. We're telling the next guy, start over. You do it yourself, buddy. You learn from hard knocks like I had to. The beauty of raising up a son that now will see a double anointing 